With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The snorting bouncer that's fended panically to short leg. The searing yorker that splatters the stumps. The hooping outswinger that draws the edge only to be dropped by your viciously hungover captain at second slip. Plugging away on a good line in length with the odd knuckleball to mix things up, this is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Cricket. This is all about cricket. Gorilla Cricket. Not just runs and wickets. So come and get it. Hello and welcome to the latest lockdown edition of the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. We're recording on Sunday the 3rd of May 2020, closing in on 50 days since there was any live actual cricket. So early teaser here, will the COVID countdown remove the helmet upon reaching the half century or simply acknowledge the landmark with a graceful wave of the bat? Tune in next week to find out. I'm your host, Knuckle Pande, live from the Streatham branch of the lockdown bunker. This week we're talking about cricket's most viscerally thrilling and physically demanding skill set. But, as the post-playing career of our first guest can testify, the life of a fast bowler isn't all run-up-and-go wang. We welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Airwaves for the first time, head coach of the Ultimate Pace Foundation and the National Fast Bowling Academy, Ian Pont. Hey, how are you? I'm grand, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. We're getting through this lockdown slowly. We're, getting, we're going slightly stir-crazy, but uh, watching old reruns of matches, which is never good, is it? <laughs> God bless cricket for having such a uh, an archive and a treasure trove. And uh, exactly. And uh, well, we wish more of it were available, frankly. Um, but uh, that's a conversation for another time. And that one we've already had. Uh, we're pairing up the debutante with someone who's not only been on the show proper, but has been on this very podcast. I'll eschew the culturally appropriate Maori greeting I gave him last time and simply say hello and how are you to former New Zealand fast bowler, host of the very engaging YouTube show 108 with IOB. It's Ian O'Brien. Oh, kia ora, Knuckle. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, nothing else to do this morning except for get the, get the start time wrong. Apologies. We're here now. That's all grand. We'll fix it in post. Uh, the third member of our fast bowling trident splits the difference. Made some memorable appearances on the show last year, but he's a first-timer on the pod. Suppose as an international fast bowler and cricket tour host, we can call him the high-end Merv Hughes, Gladstone Small. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, guys, and apologies for my Sunday mornings is a bad time to do this stuff, okay? But uh, it's good, good to join you all. Pleasure to be here. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, yeah, we have a panel, so let's get to the show. Uh, starting with you, IOB, let's go around the room, go back to the very beginning. What first attracted you to bowling fast? Um, I don't know what attracted me to bowling fast. I think as a kid, you do everything. You're, you're an all-rounder. You, you bat, you bowl, you bowl spin, you bowl offies and leggies, and, and, and you try and bowl as quick as possible as well. I, I think you, you end up working out what you're okay at when, when all your friends go, whoo, that's fast, and I don't want to face you. And, and your young, younger brother then sort of says, no, only if you bowl slow. So you sort of work out what you're good at, and, 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 and I guess you kind of work out what you enjoy hearing, maybe. Um, and, and, and I think there is a, a, a thrill in, in when it does come out pretty quick and, and you can give someone a bit of a fright. Um, 
and I guess you, you sort of you go with that. Yeah, I heard um, heard Dale Stain on a podcast recently talking about how he was playing men's cricket at fourteen and realizing that none of the adults wanted to wanted to face him. Did you have a moment like that? No, not not quite where where no one wanted to face me, but there were there were there were look. I played softball for for like until I was about 13. I played softball as a kid. I think I played two years of midgets, like at six and seven, I played cricket. And then I played softball, um, you know, a variation on baseball kind of thing until I was 13. So it was only nets where I, where I played cricket, just go down to the nets and, and play for fun. So, um, and there typically I just bowl fast, I guess. Um, I remember hitting Samuel Grimmer in the head um, by mistake. Um, and that wasn't pleasant, but um, I don't think anyone wanted to, to, to not face me, but I guess the more you stick at something and the, and the, the, more, uh, the more times you do it, the cleaner your, your action gets and, and, and the quicker you do become. You sort of work on, you, you eventually those things, um, those things all smooth out and, and you become quite good at something. But just time, I guess. Well, um, the great, <laughs> the great healer or not, as the as the case as the case maybe as we were talking about a little bit um, off air. I mean, uh, softball, baseball is a pretty good uh, segue into into you, Ponty, um, yeah. in terms of your your attraction to to bowling seam up and bowling fast. Yeah, well, mine's a slightly different journey to England. I started out as a, a batsman, so I played England under 19s as an opening batsman, and then um, tragically, Knotts signed me in '81, thinking I was a good batsman. Um, I think they confused me with my brother, maybe. And I had two seasons up there, and it became evident quite early on that after Richard Hadley had rearranged my stumps in nets 14 times, that perhaps batting wasn't for me. Um, and I remember Bob White, who went on to become an umpire, he was then second-team coach at Knotts. He said, listen, Ian, he said, you're a big unit. You've got a monster throw. Why don't you bowl fast? And I spent two years at Stowe School working on the grounds as a 21-year-old playing for Buckinghamshire. Um, and it was then that my love of trying to basically pin the batsman to the sight screen happened. And I realized that I actually could uh, do it in the sense that I had an, a, a natural attribute to do it. And then Essex signed me in 85 and I had a career bowling in the middle of the pitch way down the leg side, but as fast as possible. And that really got me thrilled about the speed. You know, I, was, I, I, I came up a time when Gladstone was playing. Um, and Devon Malcolm and, and Graham Dilley and guys like this who basically could bowl a heavy cricket ball, as we say. Um, and it was great at that time because there were people like Imran Khan playing, Kapil Dev, Both was around, Richard Hadley, four of the greatest all-rounders in history in the 80s. It was a great time to be a fast bowler, Garth LaRue. I mean, we can just list them. West Indies were dominating with fast bowling. It was one of those things that if you could bowl quickly, you felt you were an asset to the team. So that really is what sparked my interest in those days, and I switched from being a batsman to being a fast bowler and, uh, and a, boundary, a boundary rider, effectively, because I could throw it hard. Gladstone will bring you in here. So was, it, um, uh, was it back in Barbados that you first had that attraction? Obviously, there's a, a hell of a fast bowling tradition in, in, in Barbados. Or was it, uh, was it kind of when you moved over here that you realised, uh, hang on, I can make a go of this? Uh, that was interesting hearing um, Ponty's talk about his initial starting cricket was a batsman because that's exactly how I how I was all of my heroes as a young kid weren't bowlers they were all batsmen my the first ever test match I went to in 1974 was to see a West Indian player by the name of Lawrence Rowe probably one of the prettiest batsmen you'll ever you'll ever see he used to whistle when he batted I saw him get 302 against England at the Kensington Oval in Barbados in 74 and I thought that's the best thing I've ever seen and all of my heroes were batsmen. And, and yes, even though you can, and you, I was a batsman, when I was playing a game, when you played a game of cricket in, in Barbados with my, with my friends if on the, in the street, on the beach, um, on the church, graveyards or whatever, wherever spare land you can play, we played a sort of game where whoever turned up first batted. First guy that arrived, put the, the sticks in the road or on the ground, whatever, batted. Everyone else bowled. Um, and so in order to get a bat, you had to bowl. You couldn't sit around with your hands in your pocket, you know, and, and get a bat. So hence, everyone could bowl. And, and, and if you bowl, you didn't, you didn't get a wicket by bowling spin. You got a wicket by bowling fast at the heads or the legs or anywhere you could hit them to, to get them out of the way. So hence, if you, went, if you went to see the West Indies back in the 80s and probably now, if you went to see those guys practice, 
at the, the next, you know, the day before a test match. You'll see the likes of people like Viv Richards, Carl Hooper can bowl a really fast bouncer. Gordon Green is Desmond Haynes. They can all bowl because of that. That's the way they were brought up to, to play cricket. You had to bowl a ball. But my, my love was initially um, batting. And then, and, and even I played for Warwickshire, Warwickshire junior team, schoolboys, and um, on, the, on the 16, 17s. I was a batsman. I bowled bats. I batted and I bowled often. And it was only through an opportunity. A couple of the couple of the, the new ball bowlers didn't turn up for one of the Warwickshire schoolboys game. Um, that I thought, well, I'll turn my arm over bowling. Yeah, I can bowl a bit. I can bowl a new ball. So yeah, I'll, I'll bowl it for you. And that's so that's where it started from. There, it's just just an opportunity, to be honest. And and then it and then you thought, oh well. You better give this one a go. There were more less. There were more batsmen than there were bowlers. Everyone wanted to bat. You know, it was easy. Any, anyone could. Anyone could bat. So, so hence bowling, bowling become a fast bowler was an opportunity. So, how did you make that the transition from okay, realizing in uh, that you can bowl fast, or kind of putting your hand up to bowl, skip, I'll bowl fast, I'll take the new ball. Obviously, it must have gone pretty. It must have gone fairly well. How did you then? make the transition from that to then real to then deciding and other people deciding, I think more importantly that, right, this is something I can get paid to do. I can be a professional fast bowler. Um, I suppose it, it, it's going back to that, that long held principle that fast bowlers are born and not, and not made, I suppose. And, um, and, and being by that, you mean that it's, it's in there. You've got natural, you've got the natural, um, coordination the, the the muscles in your in your in your bodies your shoulders you got that fast twitch to, to generate the power that the power and the speed that that sends that ball out through your fingers and and it's 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 built in it's innate it's it's not in it's and that's and if you got that perfect lovely that's a good start then you then you can re- refine and hone and and get that that down to down to timing and precision and all that sort of stuff. So yes, it's 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 then that's that's knowing that's the, that's that's where the 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 key to it is really. So um, I I probably I stand in the in the in the on the line that says that that fast bowlers are born and not made. Um, IOB, um, same same question to you. So once you you realise you can you can bowl fast and you start playing um, playing cricket at a at a more kind of structured and organised. Level and I think probably the West Indies, uh, sorry, New Zealand might be a bit more. Uh, it's a slightly different, more um, kind of structured pathway than than in than in than in some countries. Than, um, but then how did you again kind of click into that that mode? Right, that right. This is something I'm going to pursue uh, professionally, and then and then get to do it. Yeah, professionally was was never really a, a thought until the year before I sort of did start playing uh, a, a few games um, at that at that where you get paid for it level. Um, it was always just a Saturday sport um, through university um, and then and then heading back and, and playing where I was from. from. And the, the, I just enjoyed it. I, I, I would also give up my Friday night. I, I, was, a, I was a pretty, um, I really enjoyed my cricket and wanted to do well. So I, I, I did give up my Friday night, whether that was by choice or because because I wasn't invited out. I don't know, probably, probably a bit of both, but, um, but the, the, I always um, just enjoyed it. And then, then was becoming pretty good at it just through training and, and just through playing my, my club stuff. And eventually there was a, maybe I can play for Wellington. This would be pretty cool. And, and sort of, and the year after that, 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 that happened uh, through, through someone getting suspended anyway. Um, <laughs> you take, you take your opportunities and, um, and then it became well. I did did pretty well in my first um, in my first professional game of cricket. Um, took two in the first and five in the second, and and played the rest of the games um, in the in the first class competition in the four day competition the rest of that season. So it was it wasn't something I targeted. It was just something that that happened. Um, and but once it happened, that was when the 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 eyes lit up and thought. Okay, all right. I can actually make a make a career out of this. So, so let let let's take this a bit more seriously than I even did beforehand. Okay, so that's an opportunity arising, and you recognising that opportunity and and seizing it and doing everything to to maximise it. Um, 
Ian, in Pont, you've, um, the, I'm going to phrase the question to you in a slightly different way because you're, you're now a fast bowling coach and a very, probably the, the, the leading and the most and the best known fast bowling coach um, around the world. So you've gone through your, you, you, had your, you had your professional career and I, um, we talked a little bit off air about the fact that um, those, of you who, who, those of you who might not know, um, Ian's talked about his ability to throw. Um, you might not know that he tried to make a career in pro baseball and was a as an Olympic standard, if not actual Olympian javelin javelin thrower and uh, a contender for Steve Backley's uh, crown. Um, those of you who are uh, familiar with Olympic sport, but then how did you decide that from there to go into fast bowling coaching and what um, what was it that drove you towards? Um, Singing, right, thinking, right, I, I want to teach other people how to do this. Well, that, that came uh, ostensibly from my time spent playing uh, baseball. I had one pro game for the Philadelphia Phillies in spring training, and I uh, was with them for 12 days, and my, my whole time was in the stage. Um, if you add all the time together, it was the best part of six weeks. Everyone I went to had a coach that taught biomechanics. Now, I'd never even heard the word before. This was 1985, 86, 87. Um, and they've been teaching the technical movement of how to throw since the 50s. Um, and when I was throwing, the guy said to me, you're just throwing with your arm, one of the coaches. And I just smiled at him and said, well, what else do you throw with? And he said, well, you throw with everything else and then your arm. And I went, what do you mean? He said, well, you start with your legs, then you're the base, then your hips. then you're... And, and, and it was like a penny drop moment for me. So my, my trip to the States became focused on how the body moves like dance steps dance sequencing um and you can teach someone those sequences if they get, they got natural attributes like they're athletic you need all that but basically how do you learn piece of music you know you do it in a process how do you learn how to dance you do it in a process how can you run faster how can you throw further these are all processes and you can work on them and that struck me then at that time. And I didn't actually coach after I left cricket. 1988, I retired at the age of 27. Wasn't getting into the Essex first team regularly. There was no chance of me getting into any England setup because I was never in the first team long enough at Essex. Um, and I gave it a few years. And then I thought, well, do you know what? I'm just going to try and experiment with this stuff because it helped me to bowl faster. And what I found was that when I started coaching... Uh, people were getting faster when we were doing some of these technical changes. And how I proved that was with the speed gun. The first speed gun I bought was in 19, early 1990s. It cost me 2,000 pounds in those days. I still have it. It still works. And uh, I did um, 10 hours of coaching with people, measured them on the first day. And by the 10th hour, which was five weeks later, we measured their speed again. And every kid on this, every, every 21 of these kids on this course imp increased their speed one lad by 16 miles per hour and and it wasn't because he'd been in the gym getting stronger or wasn't because he was older uh, it was the fact that he was actually doing it in inverted commas the right way he, he was accessing more power from his body so what got me into coaching long term this i'm going back now 25 30 years and i've written three books was because it was about what is the process of fast bowling could we identify that it's an art and a science together and that inspired me to become the coach. So my own experience from baseball and javelin throwing and understanding there was a technique to both of those um, means that, and one thing we're really poor at, I just, I mean, I agree with Gladstone about you've got to have natural attributes. Um, the however part to that is you've got to be able to do it in the right way. You need sequence, rhythm, timing, coordination, all of that great stuff. And there are bowlers out there that never learn that or understand that. They, ju they just become the best version of themselves by their, their knowledge at that point. If you help them to understand you, they can unlock more, they can genuinely increase their speed by quite a long way. So, I mean, this, this is where cricket is sitting right now. The, the narrative has never been about how to bowl quicker until quite recently. I mean, I've been saying it for 30 years, banging my head against the wall. Now we're having a conversation about bowlers keeping the front leg straight. We look at Jofra Archer. He's a very natural fast bowler. What does natural mean? Natural means something you do every day. If you do something every day, it becomes natural. But you can change what's natural because you can do something else every day and that becomes natural and normal. So this is just understanding how to guide somebody through this process. But it's, it's tiptoeing through a minefield because we have a lot, uh, there's a lot of myths out there about fast bowling. Yes, you have to be athletic. You have to have certain attributes. Um, it doesn't mean you can take an old lady off the street. 
who's never played the game before and turn her into a fast bowler. I'm not saying that, but you can actually improve a lot of people's. I know it's a long answer to your question, but it was about the technical part of fast bowling that really fascinated me. It's actually a long answer to two questions because one of the things I was going to ask later is obviously um, you often hear fast bowlers say you can't teach someone to bowl fast or that fast bowlers are, are born, not made. Evidently, you can teach someone to bowl faster. And my other question was going to be how much faster can you teach someone uh, to bowl? But I'm going to, I'm going to slightly um, amend that. Do you see people who are even international bowlers who uh, who you think are it fall into that category of they're just kind of making do yeah well, loads of people um you know i'll give you for instance i've spent last 10 years coaching in india and there is a, a massive amount of talent in india when i started coaching there 10 years ago no one was talking about fast bowling now we look at some of their fast bowlers and they're some of the quicker bowlers around and that's not a coincidence the fact that the narrative in india has changed away from spin bowling too fast bowling and there's a lot of young kids now coming out who want to bowl quickly because you need icons in in life you need you know they look at Dale Steyn they look at Shrebacta they look at Brett Lee they look at these great fast bowlers they look at Jofra Archer they become inspirations as Gladstone said he was inspired by batsmen and I get that because you know we follow what we see on television but the narrative has changed dramatically and uh, example I worked with Mohit Sharma I met Mohit Sharma when I worked with Haryana and he was bowling 128 kilometers when I met him. We worked together for a month. We did some slight suggestions to his sequencing. And when he made his debut for India, um, he bowled 138 to 140Ks. Now, a 12 kilometer increase in speed is not to be sniffed at. Now, he's not going to scare people. But what it meant was he was hitting the bat a bit harder and giving the batsman less time. And we know that once you get to 140 plus, once you start getting into those higher realms of speed, if you can hit 150, you're very special. You get above 150, you get into the 155 to the 160, that batsman's reaction time is virtually none. And it, it, it really unravels technique of batsman at the top end. So speed in itself is not a desirable outcome because you have to still bowl it in the right place. And here's the other thing. It's not either or. It's not bowl fast or be accurate. You can actually do both together. It's just understanding how that fits, what the body's doing to create that. And when I coach kids who are eight years old, I can't confuse them with biomechanical technical terms because they won't understand it. So we just have to keep it simple, basic. There's core principles. We're all different, but we all share the fact that we're humans and we move in a similar way. And that's how you coach it. I'll, I'll take that, um, that point that you made about speed and, speed and technique or speed, speed and accuracy and, and movement because um, it's something I'm quite, something quite interested in. Um, talking to for that to first uh, first IOB then Gladstone how did you as as fast bowling professionals strike that balance between speed and what I'll call technique which I'm going to use as the umbrella term for accuracy and movement I think look I, you didn't get the opportunity without being accurate but you didn't get the opportunity because you were just accurate um and and look every kid that I ever talked to I just say just bowl fast and and the rest will come and just throw it hard and the direction will come and anything is, is power first and then finesse later. The, 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 the thin end comes, comes later because if you haven't got the big end, it doesn't matter what you do later on. Um, you're not going to have that, the, the power base. So the, for me, it was, it was that they, uh, I guess, evolved together just through repetition and just through becoming smoother um, and more efficient. And I think if you throw someone in a swimming pool and don't teach them how to swim, they will eventually be able to swim. And they will eventually, over time, become more efficient and more efficient and more efficient just through time. And there are shortcuts, obviously. Um, but for me, I think it was, was time. Um, and I had, a, I had a good bowling coach uh, early in my professional career. But up until that, I had had almost no coaching um, of any description um, before I made sort of first class level. The, and it was just, you, you developed and you developed. And then, and then again, time and time and time. And, and you become uh, even more efficient out of what you've got. And you become quicker and smoother and, and more accurate. So, so I developed both sides of, um, of that, um, uh, you know, the, the speed and the direction. They both developed for me um, together. There was no day where I had to limit my pace to become 
better direction and more accurate. There was no day where I, where I had to do that because I had learned them both at the same time. I had to do everything at 100%. I couldn't bowl at 80%. I was terrible at bowling at 80%. I just caught, I, and still now, I still can't hardly do that. I have to go flat out because that's what my body knows. And that's the system, the, the biomechanics systems that uh, over time, my body has, has become natural. So no point me trying to be more accurate because if I'm trying to be more accurate, I have to lower my pace, but that doesn't work because I'm a hundred percent guy and I can't do it at any other level. Uh, Gladstone, throw that over to you. Were you able to, and I, I will slightly kind of move the conversation on. So once you are a, a professional cricketer and then, a, a, then in your, then an international cricketer, um, are you ever when it, when it, and we'll get onto match day preparation and, and tactics a little bit after in the second half of the show, but were you ever in a situation where you thought, um, right, this on, 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 the, on this day in these conditions, I need to think about more. I need to think about uh, maximizing movement or, or, or line and length over and above more so than pace. And how do you do that? And how do you go about doing that? Uh, listen, there's um, as natural as it is, and it's not one size fit all. We, there are all the fast bowlers that we can think about and have seen. Um, there, you don't. You, you, you don't. Do, you, it's very hard to. To, to be out there and do, to, to bowl maximally fast every ball, every session of every day. That, that just doesn't happen. You, 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 have, you have days where, just for this, where it just doesn't click. It just doesn't feel right. The, the, the circumstances you play in, it might be a windy day. You might be bowling on a, uh, particularly when you play in England, where the, 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 the outfields, the ground, sometimes you're running downhill, sometimes you're running uphill, sometimes you're running side hill. So you've got to have the key to bowling and bowling well is for me, and I'm sure for lots of bowlers, is rhythm. And if you've got, if you can find that rhythm early and straight and early in your, in, in his, I, I could tell within two or three balls of a, of a particular day how how easy or hard my bowling was going to be that particular day, and, and just from just from feeling how my how my feet flew flow, flowed from left to right you know you feel the flow and it's then it goes and it, then it goes on through the rest rest of your body so so it's 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 a real i was lucky when i when i was coming up bowling i mean every team i played against in county cricket i mean ponty mentioned the names in the 80s that we had in, and we were very fortunate english cricket was very fortunate to have the you know hadley rice you know imran khan garth larue Joel Garner, Marshall, Holden, you know, all, all the other names, you know, Vincent Vanderbilt, Wayne Daniels, Sylvester. I mean, so I watch, I use I, eyes and ears. I watched a lot. There was, as Ponty alluded to, there was very few technical, really technical, technical coaching. There was lots of experienced people around who you can speak to and, and glean from, but it wasn't really about technique. My my actually my my real first input as a bowler came in the late 80s after I'd made my England debut. It was a guy called ex Hampshire and England bowler Bob Cotton, uh, who became an England fast bowling coach. I think he might have been England's first fast bowling coach. I think Bob might have been in the end, um, and he was the really first technical, real technical know-how that I had. And I'd already played for England. If I'd had him previously, I could, things would have been better. Um, but, but fast bowling, it's, it, it, does, it, it, it differs. It doesn't, it doesn't always, some days you, you, you bust, you're running, you run up to the crease and you, you, and you really bust your gut to, to send it out there as fast as you can. And it, it farts out. It doesn't happen. It, 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 just, it just takes, it takes the... That's where the R word comes in. Yeah, okay, R word these days is something else, but R word is rhythm. And the, the quicker you can find that rhythm on a, on a given day and on a, in a given circumstance. And also, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes the you know, conditions, you have to bowl to conditions. The pitch doesn't allow you to pitch. Sometimes instead of banging it into the pitch, you have to kiss the surface rather than banging it in. So you have to learn and experience and know how teaches you teaches you how to use conditions to your advantage so there, there is sometimes there is a a conscious decision to bowl in a certain way to um 
to uh, kiss the pitch or, or really banking it hard. The reason I'm asking is, again, based on this interview that, uh, that Dale Stain did, and I think I've heard Joffre Archer say something similar, or people say about Joffre Archer, that uh, on certain days that he will, if he's trying to go for movement, he'll sometimes bowl... Um, He'll, he's kind of, he'll drop his average pace and not really try and strive for that extra. I mean, IOB, you said that that wasn't something that you felt comfortable doing. Um, and I guess the, that, that brings me on to a, a difference of not of technique, but of, of psychology. You've all, we've talking about fast bowling, and I, I know we've all used the word. Is there a psychological difference between being a fast bowler and being a seam bowler? And kind of what is that? If so, kind of what is that difference? I'll start with, start with you, Ponty. Um, it's a good question. Um, I, I sat down, I, I did a little bit of work as ECB national skill sets coach at Loughborough and I sat down with a, with a player. I won't say his name cause he's still playing first class cricket. And I asked him, what sort of bowler are you? And he said, swing bowler. I said, what happens if it doesn't swing? You're just a bowler. And, and what's interesting is how he categorized himself. Um, there's always a clue in the title. If you're a fast bowler, you should bowl fast. And, and I think this comes down to perception, what you believe in yourself. If you say you're a seam bowler, you're going to run up. And as Gladstone said, you're probably going to run up and try and hit the deck. You're probably trying to, you're trying to hit the seam, definitely. If you're a swing bowler, you're going to kiss the pitch a bit more. You're going to get it up there, but you're not going to float it up there. So this comes back to when they show pitch maps on television and they'll show that, that Wokes bowls one length, Anderson bowls another, Broad bowls another, Archer bowls another. And, and if you're able to vary your length, and be honest, we, we all need to have a, a cracking bouncer and a great Yorker. If you can, I always say if you can bowl a good length, a good Yorker and a good bouncer, you can have a career in cricket. Because if you can control those three lengths, and they are very different lengths, you can control the ones in between. And as Gladstone rightly said, and, and, and Ian will, will agree with on this, you've got to adjust it according to conditions. You know, I was national bowling coach of Bangladesh and um, Chittagong, the pitch at Chittagong bounces ankle height or shin height at best. If you're going to try and hit the top of off stump, you've got to bowl it on your half of the pitch virtually and it turns, yeah. If you bowl at the whacker to hit the stumps, you've almost got to bowl a Yorker. They're very, very different lengths on different surfaces. And I think the, the skill of it isn't so much what you call yourself or understand, it's realising what lengths you should be bowling and you should be able to alter that as a professional. Um, I or B, I'll throw that to um, to you because you were uh, certainly at international level. You were, uh, um, I think, you're sort of classed as somewhere between right and fast, medium and medium fast, depending on the the whim of the editor of the, of the website. I was fast. I was fast medium. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but but, that, uh, but you, you played with with guys who there was never a, you um, somebody like Shane Bond, for example, out and out fast, uh, and absolutely no question. So that is there. Did did he approach it in a different way to to someone like someone like you or somebody, um, you know, you, you come up with somebody like Tim Sally, um, who is kind of in the same, kind of in the similar pace bracket and no, similar no, no. categorization to you? Is there a psychological difference between? No, the, 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 there is for me. There's there's no classification difference really that means anything because we're all trying to do what we're the best at. And if you take someone like Craig McMillan and Nathan Astnell, who sort of would bowl late one twenties, that was what they could do. That was that was what they could do, and that's what they were quite good at. They were they were all rounders. You take Gavin Larson, who was in the same sort of bracket, but he was a bowler, and that was his pace. That's what his natural talent allowed him to do, and it allowed him to be hugely accurate at it. I think we we are seeing a bit of a, a, a change away from the Gavin Larsons of the world, and we are going towards the the more skillful, quicker bowler, but. But again, with, with what Ponty said, there's there's three lengths. There's a there's 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 full, there's length, and then there's a bouncer, and and that that is what you do, and your natural. And I, I think this is um, there's a little bit for me. There's a little bit of a myth about being able to change your length. I'm not going to call it a full myth, but as a bowler, you have your length, and I think that is that's what you groove on on the pitches that you play most regularly on. You have your length and that's the one that you bowl most often and to change that to adjust that by say say two meters to go fuller by by two meters that's really hard to do without without missing and making big mistakes um, I think you get good at bowling your length at your pace some days because of exactly what Gladstone was saying but because of um, your rhythm you may not have the same pace but you're still putting the same amount of effort and the same energy into what you're doing and you're still trying to hit your same area 
the ability to, to pitch it up another couple of meters if it's swinging particularly, I think that's very hard for, certainly was, was very hard for me to do and was very hard for a lot of guys I played with to do to be able to go a meter and a half, two meters fuller when it's swinging. I think if you've got a flat surface and you're banging it in, that's your length. If you've got a green surface and you're banging it in, but that is your length, that's your length. I think it's very hard to, to change some of those, uh, those smaller points uh, on a greater scale. We have seen a few taller bowlers. I mean, these are guys at the very top end of test cricket, Morley Morkel and Stuart Broad, who eventually adapted to bowling slightly fuller. But that, I mean, that took them probably 10 years uh, at the very top level. Um, and I'm just, it doesn't really bear thinking about the amount of work and the amount of hours in the nets they would have had to put in to, uh, to, to make that happen. Um, and we'll come on a bit to, um, to, to sort of adjustments and, and how that actually works. But just, um, just, Gladstone very uh, very quickly before we before we sort of end this segment and go on to begging for money. Um, the so would you agree with the guys that there isn't that necessarily the different the the classification per se between being a fast bowler and being a Seymour swing bowler is a little bit artificial. Mm, I, I think there is definitely for me. I think there's a both a, a physiological um, difference and also a psychological difference. Physiological. The, the sheer physics, the the the, the strength, the, the 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 athleticism um, to bowl a cricket ball fast—that's phys, that's physiological. Psychological, the fast, the, the, when you the really fast guys, and they, you, you know you know if you're the fast bowler team, you know you're the one who has to strike. You're the strike bowler, and strike bowler it works in two ways. You either you strike to get wickets, or you, in, you impose fear into the, the opposition batsman because he knows if this if this ball strikes me, it's going to hurt really. So that's that 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 those two things, the the physiological and the psychological, I think makes it makes a, a, a difference to to the and the individual bowlers. They know which side of the fence they, they have that they, they, they are in, in, in the ranking. The one, the, the one who's there to be the, the seam bowler who holds an end into the wind just to keep things tight and the, and the, and the fast bowler who knows he's there for that job of, of striking fair and, and obviously t- you know, and knocking, knocking, out, knocking out stumps. So I think there is, a, for me, I think there is a, 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 some difference between the two. I think, yeah, I think later on the back of that, yeah, your, your defined role is, is hugely important. And I think that's what um, that is there, the into the wind, the downwind, the opening bowler versus the, the, the guy that's going to hold it. I think, yeah, there's a, there is a, a, a difference in that regard. So interesting, there's a really fascinating range of perspectives um, on, on that question. Um, fast bowling is, um, is a really interesting and, and psychologically fascinating topic, and that's why we're devoting an episode uh, to it. Um, after pleading for money in musical form, we'll shift the discussion to uh, to preparation and to, to strategy and to, and to advice. But uh, first, please and thank you, listen to and act upon us pleading for money in musical form. We need your money! Alternative cricket commentary. Bringing you laughs, bringing you jingles, bringing you joy. We are gorillas. We need your Welcome back to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast with me, your host, Knuckle M. Pandey. We're discussing the life of a fast bowler with head coach of the Ultimate Pace Foundation and National Fast Bowling Academy, Ian Pont, former New Zealand fast bowler, Ian O'Brien, and former Warwickshire and England fast bowler, Gladstone Small. So we've talked physical, we've talked uh, mental, um, we'll now talk um, technical and, and preparatory and strategic. What should an up-and-coming fast bowler's match day preparation be? So how, how would you split that between physical and tactical, strategic? And specifically, um, um, it's, a, it's a little bit different if you're, at the, if you're at the elite level because you've got more data available. But specifically, I'm talking about the kind of level that I played at. I was never, I was never even a scene bowler. I was, a, I was an intermittently effective wrist spinner. Uh, but you don't see the guys you've been playing against, really. Uh, you don't know much about them. So how do you go about 
So firstly, on that, that question of how much splitting physical and, and tactical, and then how, how do you essentially read a, a, a batter uh, when they first come to the crease and when you first start bowling against them? Uh, we'll, we'll start that question with Gladstone. Um, it's, it's for, firstly on, on, on your, on your, um, it, it certainly has the, the goalposts has, has somewhat moved these days. I mean, when, when I played it, you just have to a hot pot of coffee and a, and a half an hour on the physio's bench with a bit of a massage. That was your preparation to get into the day. You know, that was mainly it. And then, then you go in because the previous day you would have probably, probably have bowl, bowl for, you know, you know, 20 odd overs. Um, when I was a young fella, um, uh, you know, but just bowling to the likes of people like Alvin Kalisharan and Dennis Amos was. I, I learned a lot from bowling to those guys. He would—he was the sort of guy who would come out after scoring a hundred, would come out to say, "Oh, my head's not going, my head's not moving, my feet's not in the right position." Oh, small, come and bowl to me. Try bowling to someone who's just come off having batted, got a hundred and fifty or sixty runs. Yeah, you know? he knows where to build on the batter. So you need—you have to bowl pretty well. So. So, you know, you learn, I bowl a lot back in those days. The current, nowadays, the current day bowlers, they, I mean, geez, how many, how many overs do, does a first class bowler bowl in a, in a season these days? Lucky if to bowl 300, I think, these days. Um, so, hence, you know, you, you, you're bowling, your bowling fitness back, back then was, was something that you had, had to needed and needed a lot of. How do you bowl to batsmen? Clues. The clues are there. How you grip, the, how someone grips the bat. You can tell straight away from the batsman how he holds the bat, how which, which side of the pitch he's going to favour. His stance, the, the stance at the ground, the stance at the crease. Really, again, um, you, you, you get there's always clues that you can you, you can you can look at. But the first things is one, the main the grip of the bat, and how the how the batsman how he stands at the crease. That, those are those are the ones that get, gives him gives away which side of the ground, which side of the field he's going to favour hitting the ball. Which then would, would feed into your strategy and your, and your field placing. I, I think I, um, I get what you're saying and you, you, you see um, kind of a very open, uh, the grip for a very open face or a very, or a very closed face of the bat and you can see that sometimes on, on TV, but sometimes it's not as, as, I guess it might not be as, as obvious as that, but, um, or at least to, to me as a, um, you know, uh, a, a, a cricket fan or a commentator, but very much a, a, a lay person when it comes to uh, to actually playing cricket at any kind of decent uh, level. Um, I would be how um, how long did it take you um, to to get to that stage of what Gladstone's talking about, being able to read someone uh, at the crease very quickly when you haven't seen them before? And was it something that you could uh, was it something you just knew, or was it something you could kind of break down and explain to people? I think that there comes a point where you know an LBW is out from square leg or fine leg. And, and this, is, this is a bit of a mythical thing as well, is that a, a cricket player that's played a lot knows an LBW is out from square leg or fine leg, which just sounds preposterous when, you, when you're kind of given the, the, the viewing angles and, and directions you're looking. But there is just this feel through, through, through stimulus and just through the amount of times you've seen the correlation between what you think is out and the umpire raising his finger, there is a, you do understand body positions, body shapes, where the deflection, you know, the length of the ball and where the deflection heads to. You kind of understand all of those in a, in a very, very small split second. And you know when an LBW is out from a horrible position on the park to be giving it out on. And conversely, it's the sort of a similar thing when you're running into when you're running into bolt. There's all these subtle clues that that are almost hard to explain, but through that bank of doing it over and over and over again, you pick up what is happening and you pick up that the back foot might be going in some direction. You pick up that they're that they're going across or they're going back or that that you just pick up the little teeny tiniest clues as you're running into bowl. And I, and I'm not sure you can, you can teach that as a skill. You can teach that as a repetition. You can teach that through it, through offering up a bank of, uh, a, a bank of outcomes, but to, to, to agree with Gladstone, you can see, you can pick from the grip and you can pick from the stance, but there's the other subconscious clues that, that you pick up as you're running in that, that give away a bit. And the, the second ball you bowl to someone, the, ch the plan may change very, very quickly just from that one interaction. And the field might change completely um, just through that 
that that knowledge of, of of seeing something over and over and over again at that elite level, um, and you so you, you you have this different way of looking at um, body shapes and body positions and, and, and the tells. Um, you look at boulder slow balls. There's always a tell somewhere. There's always a, an early tell that is away from what they would normally do. So the same thing with the batsman's uh, position and setup. There's a tell, and for some reason, some people can pick up those tells earlier than than others. Um, but you're looking for tells, and but you're not looking for them. You're just a, you, you're just letting them letting them hit you, and and you react accordingly. What was your tell as a, uh, for, your, for your slower ball? Um, you know, when I eventually get round to, and I'm sure this will happen, uh, watching New Zealand tests from the mid-2000s. Look, I, I, I don't know what my tell was because I was bowling it. Um, but but so take, take, for example, Agenta Mendes. We, we negated him in test cricket because we, know, we knew what his tells were. Um, he would hold his off straight up in front of his chin like that. He bowled a googly, which was very easy to pick. You just had to remember it went the same way as the offie. And then his Karen ball, his little finger would go up. And so we all, we had worked out his tells. We couldn't score off him. That didn't matter in test match cricket. But, but we, we worked out what his tells were. And then you could, you could play accordingly. Um, and, 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 and as a batsman, it's certainly in shorter format cricket, you, can, you know what their tells are because they're going to get down and lap or they're going to give themselves uh, room and hit through the offside. The, the quicker you can adjust as a bowler, and and deliver the, the the worst ball for for their tell. The whole the whole case of Ajanta Mendes and his his rise and then his being <laughs> found out and his and then his um, lock, lack of effectiveness once that surprise has worked out is a whole podcast in itself. I find him a really interesting uh, case study. But um, that uh, there, there's like I think Andrew Fidel Fernando has written a, written some really good pieces about that for Crockington. But anyway, that's a uh, that's a that's a digression for another time. Um, um, Ponty. So the guys have talked about um, about knowing it once that with that bank of experience, uh, can you coach it? And if so, how? That kind um, of reading you, you, of your of original matter. your original question mentioned club cricket. I'm, I'm fortunate or unfortunate, probably compared to to um, Gladstone and Ian, that I'm still playing. Um, I'm captain the county over fifties, um, so I'm still playing regular club cricket Jeez. and stuff. And um, I see. I know. Hats off to you, Ponty. I know, I know, and I'm 60 next, 60 next year as well. Um, but uh, thanks, buddy. Um, and we're county champions, by the way. But anyway, um, just thought I'd throw that one in. You there. must, you uh, must have gone back to your batting. Yeah, off spin these days. Yeah, and a bit of batting. But look, but, but, but my point is, and, and Ian makes the observation: you get to know. So let's talk about club cricket for a second. Um, I mean, if I feel that slip or out on the boundary somewhere, you watch somebody play and you can see they play from the crease. So you jog up to the bowler and just say, pitch it up another yard or two. He's going to nick you off. He's just not moving his feet. I mean, there's obvious things you can pick up at a club level. Um, and you'll see somebody with a very heavy bottom hand, like shoveling it into the leg side, you know, with their head falls across the stumps. So from a coaching perspective, if you just watch a lot of club players back, you can see kind of where their weaknesses are. Bowl at their hip all day long, they're never going to score off you. Conversely, when we were all playing in our prime as professional cricket, we didn't have, and we have data today, but in the days we didn't have data, Keith Fletcher was captain of Essex. And he'd say to me, when we play Lancashire, don't bowl short to Gihon Mendes. So I ended up bowling short at him and going for 12 and over in a first class game because you just don't bowl short at him. Or whatever you do, don't bowl at Wayne Larkin's legs. You know, and we ended up with like four people on the leg side trying to stop boundaries with the new ball because I'm bowling at his pads. And these are things, as, as Ian has alluded to, and Gladstone understands as well, you just get to know players over time. Now we have data. I mean, I'm coaching in the modern era. I've sat through, uh, I've been in international changing rooms, and Ian will understand this, where a coach will present from the analyst a stream of data about where somebody's weak. You know, and in the end, the people are at the end, back of the thing texting their mates saying, please get me out of this meeting. Because at the end of the day, the top of off stump hasn't moved. And, and pretty much, you know, pretty much this is it. It just comes down now to, you mentioned about Ian having a tell or not. This comes down to particularly T20 cricket. You're having a perhaps two or three different deliveries that you go to as your best ball. And you bowl those balls. If a batsman clubs it, you've got to come up with something different. But this comes down to field placing, understanding of where you're bowling and tactics. But ultimately, particularly in the shorter version of the game, and I'll include club cricket on this, sometimes it's so random, batsmen are playing these crazy shots, you almost can't dictate for it. And it puts a lot of pressure back on a bowler, which is why they're now saying that T20 
it has always been a batsman's game. You know, the, the bowlers are really... You may as well just put a bowling machine and fire it down there for T20 because that's as good as it gets sometimes. I think a lot of the evidence would suggest that T20 is a wrist spinners game, but well, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a whole different conversation. Well, well interesting, Nuka. When, when T20 first came in, I was bowling coach at Essex. The first game was played. And we put Darren Goff at the top of the order as a pinch hitter. I mean, we had no concepts of how to play the game whatsoever. And, and I think it was a low-scoring affair where we were bowled out in about 12 overs for 80. And I think it was Gloucestershire. It was like knocked them off seven down or something. It was a dreadful game. Because no, everybody thought every ball was a free hit. So the game has evolved and developed since then. And you're quite right. It's become... Who would have thought that spinners would, would, would excel in T20? Uh, it's a great thing. As a now former member of the Risk Spinners Union, uh, uh, l- uh, long live it. Um, I think we've just about got time to ask this. Um, so that as, a, as a commentator, pretty much entirely off-tube commentator, so watching a lot of TV close-ups, this is something of a pet love of mine, and I've written a bit about it. Scene position. Um, uh, how can one... To, uh, you get, there's a kind of very basic sense of how, a, of how important scene position is in terms of presenting the scene upright and, and presenting that sort of surface area that sort of basic physics of presenting the maximum surface area of the scene to the, uh, to the pitch to, to aid movement. Um, how, how, can, how can it be improved and, and what can that give you as a bowler? And sub question to that, who of the current crop of fast bowlers, and there's a hell of a lot of good fast bowlers around, has the best um, scene position that you've seen? Um, well, absolutely. Listen, scene position, absolutely. And the more the more you can present the the scene as as so that when it as it as it travels down the pitch and it stays in position and and the wind it's do the wind flow around the ball obviously helps push pushes the ball in in one position. It land and if you can get the ball to land on the scene, one it will the scene that, that piece of string it, it bites into the surface. So hence it would it would it can grip and move one way or the other. It can bounce that little bit more higher. It will bounce that a bit more higher. Makes it a, and that's actually for me to be honest, to more, particularly to modern day batsmen who who who've got the hand speed and the power and stuff. The one thing you can't read is bounce. The, how, how high the ball is going to bounce once it pitches, and and if you can regularly hit that that seam as a bowler, you 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 will get the ball to. To, to, to bounce. I know nowadays you see the borders using a lot of cross seam deliveries. And again, that's one that allows the ball to either hit the, the bare, the, 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 leather, the leather surface, which means it's probably going to skid on a bit more. Or if it hits the seam, it then stands up to the batsman. So it gives that, that little bit of a variation. So yes, the seam position of, of the ball and, and the more, and the, the better bowlers um, currently, you like Jimmy Anderson. He he would be the guy who, when you see the ball released from his hands, um, you see the seam of the ball absolutely upright and as it, as the floor. Stuart Broad cuts the ball quite a bit these days. Brody um, still a very skillful bowler, but he tends to cut the ball, so the seam is always generally rotating as it travels down the pitch. Um, Pat Cummins, the Australian bowler, he's another one that you know, generally looks to stands the seam up and hits the seam very, very, pretty much all the time. So no, no, no doubt that why he's now probably the number one rated bowler, bowler in, in in the world. So yes, listen, it, it is a that's what the seam as a bowler that's your friend and the seam, and the more you learn to use that 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 friend when you bowl a cricket ball, the more successful you're going to be. So we've had a vote for Jimmy and a sub-vote for, for Pat Cummins. Um, IOB, uh, who, who kind of impresses you as, uh, in terms of getting the, in terms of scene position of the, of the current crop. The scene position's a funny one. Look, it, look it, if, it's a, if it's a day where it's swinging or, or you can swing it, then it becomes hugely important. Um, we, we hear about this wobble scene. Now, I probably predominantly bowled wobble scene deliveries, not through, not through wanting to, but just through my, my physics, my, the, the mechanics of how I, how I bowled. And Gladstone uh, talks there about the the bounce, and and I call it the you know the so it's bounce, or then you sometimes you get the kick, and the kick has got to do with the seam hit in the pitch, and how many how much backspin you had on the ball. The the greater the backspin, the greater chance there is for kick, and that's kind of that definition of a heavy ball because it hits higher on the bat. 
so it feels like it's a, a heavier ball. That that I think is 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 one of the more wicket taking deliveries, the one that, that that bounces a bit more because it it gets the batsman in the wrong position for what they are predict predetermined the length and the and, and the, the conversely the bounce so the so for me it was about hitting the strings and if it was swinging sweet happy days cool and if it wasn't swinging it didn't matter because i was still putting big backspin on the ball and getting it to, to either kick or not um the crossing ball absolutely but that also works uh, towards you shining the ball up because you're ripping one side and you can still buff out a, a chunk on the shiny side if it hits that side um but but pat cummings is is, is beautiful that rudder on his ball the the presentation of of his seam is 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 as classic as dale Stane at his best as 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 jimmy anderson at his best but but just quicker than jimmy so he's as close to dale Stane without having the same sort of bowling action as dale Stane. but then but then it doesn't really matter because you see exactly against Stuart Broad mentioned, uh, he rolls the seam, uh, rolls his fingers away at a, a, quite a bit and it just takes, takes 10% off the pace and it just adds a little bit of something different. It's almost like a caramel kind of style. And it, it is just keeping the bats from guessing. And it's, I think absolutely what Glaston said, it's about the interaction with the pitch more so than the interaction through the air. Swing is great but you can kind of work that out. The interaction with the pitch is the random bit. That is the bit that no bowler can control. You can have a good guess at where it's going and what you're trying to do with it, but it is still a random event. If you can't control a random event, that, can't, that batsman can't read the random event. Uh, and that's where it, for me, becomes a, the using the seam in the right way off the pitch. But if you can swing it, great. If you can then swing it and get it to do something off the seam, you're, uh, you're Richard Hadley. <laughs> so, so, there's a, so you're building in a bit of variation um kind of at source as it as it were just natural variation yeah and then that was my and that was my uh strength was my natural variation because i wasn't classically didn't have a classical action or anything like that there were timing issues that would always arise in the middle of a spell that would then give me natural variation through scene position and through pace. If they can't read your pace, if they can't read your bounce, they're gonna it's very, very difficult to then to then play the play it after it bounces. If you can read it in the air before it bounces, you've got a great chance. Like bowling machine balls, if you can't read it off the surface, like playing a spin bowler, for example, if you can't read the quick off the surface, then you you've got even more uh, even more troubles. And that's what that backspin for me was my asset. So that, that backspin, I mean, um, you see a lot of bowlers, and Glenn McGrath is a great example of this, and I'll go to Ian for the technical stuff, that wrist snap that he gave at the last minute so that uh, his fingers are going backwards across the seam. This is very nerdy, and I make absolutely no apologies for that because I love it. Uh, uh, the, the fingers are going backwards across the ball at release, and so there's that bit of backspin. And so the ball bounces those, you know, I don't know, maybe in a couple of inches, a couple of centimetres even, sometimes higher than the bat is expecting it. And so um, there's... Uh, the batters even even more trouble than they would already be facing Glenn McGraw, which is a lot. Um, Pat Cummins, incidentally, just um, interesting. You guys both mentioned he's a weird one because he's got the tip of his middle finger missing. So there's, there's a whole bit of extra variation there that you can't uh, <laughs> you can't build in. Um, um, but but Ponzi, in, in terms of those technical points of uh, of the seam position and that sort of and that wrist flick, um, it, how? how easy or difficult it is and at what stage would you build that into a fast bowler's development? I'm going to be even nerdier than you. Uh, 14 metres per second backspin is perfect for swing. So I'd, I have no idea what that looks like. But basically, if a ball rotates at 14 metres per second backwards against the flow of the uh, direction, it will the seam will stand up, providing you've released it north to south. So um, Jimmy Anderson is probably one of the best swing bowlers I've seen. The best scene presenter I've ever seen is Richard Hadley by a distance. He bowled almost vertical with his bowling arm, which meant that the, his variations could almost be finger pressures. He could push one finger harder slightly on the ball and it would do something different. Um, when you have that kind of immaculate release position, you can play around with it. Uh, opposing that, someone like Lassis Malinga, who's almost at 10 o'clock rather than 12 o'clock, he's going to do different stuff. He almost swerved the cricket ball rather than swung it. So it would be rotations in the air, almost like a curveball. And I think the interesting thing about T20 cricket is it's, it's given a whole um, raft of ideas to players as to how to mess around with their wrist position. 
So, for example, the knuckleball or the butterfly ball doesn't have any rotations on it. It makes it unstable. 14 meters per second makes a ball stable, which is why it swings and shapes. A knuckleball just goes down and floats like a butterfly. Um, and it's very hard to hit that. It's been very hard to bowl until the last 10 years, but you know, we are now, everybody's now got a version of it in their locker. So wrist position is key. How do you practice? Um, and we do at the National Fastball Academy, you get nine-year-old kids sit cross-legged on the floor and do yo-yos, basically flick their wrist up and down and then hold their elbow and throw the ball like a dart to each other. And they check the wrist position. It's really basic and simple, but what it does, it, it, it teaches you to get that muscle memory because at high speeds, you're not thinking, I hope this cricket ball swings. You're just bowling it. And if you've got a great release point, if you've got the seam north to south, if it's hitting the airflow, as, as Gladstone says, in the right place, it acts like the rudder on a, on a ship, as, as Ian alluded to, you can swing it both ways a new ball, depending on how you release it. You could tuck your thumb underneath the ball, which is what Dale Stain used to do. You can use finger pressures, as Goffey sometimes did. You can angle the seam like a rudder. You can lower the wrist slightly if you're trying to reverse it. There's so many things that you can do. It's almost a dark art, fast bowling. And I think all I'd say, as a technical skills coach, I'm kind of going against myself here a little bit. It just comes down to feel, because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have a different way of producing it. But there is a scientific reason why a cricket ball swings, and there's a scientific reason why it moves off the surface. And providing you can get the seam to land in the right place, it will genuinely do something off the surface and as ian said if you're bowling at 140 clicks plus and it's nipping around it makes it hell for a batsman it's really difficult to play and there's a few guys around who can do that right now which is why uh well it's partly it's why uh test fast bowling has been so much fun to watch it's also why test cricket has been so much fun to watch over the over the last few years uh fast bowling zendabad uh, we'll close on, on a question of, of advice and taking it back to, to where it all started in a nice circular motion thing. What single thing that you know now would you tell yourself as a young fast bowler? And, uh, and we'll start with you, Gladstone. Um, yeah, I, listen, as, as the guys will always say, there's lots of different ways to do it. And, but for me, the one, the one thing that stands out um, and and the, the guy who I looked looked at um, as a as a young bowler and and was able to talk to him quite a bit and and his name was Ian O'Brien we'll know we'll know this guy really well and that was Sir Richard Hadley he 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 was um, one of the most skillful that there's ever been and and for me the the key is head position the more still you can and up and upright that's the two things still and upright in the head position, then that controls your body weight. That means your body weight is going to be st stand tall. And then it leads, it leads to your, a nice upright arm release. If your head starts, if you're losing your head to either too far forward too soon or too far to the side too early, then it's going to take your body weight away from where you should be positioning and obviously keeping your body upright and heading towards the batsman. So head, head position for me is the, one, is the one key. Keep it high. Head position from Gladstone Small, or the more impressive uh, Jimmy Anderson, given that his, for a large part of his career, his head's been pointing towards mid-off through his own legs. Uh, There's always I a freak. There's always some freaks around. <laughs> IOB, single piece of advice for young IOB. Yeah, look, I, I, I never, I cannot recall ever asking someone, how do I bowl faster? And I don't know why, because that's every question that a youngster would ask me when I'm just off two steps bowling three times as quick as them and, you know, just in the nets mucking around. The, 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 the simple thing that, that when they do ask me that is, you know, how do I bowl faster? And, and the, the, the two-word answer is bowl faster. There is, there is no better um, piece of advice, I don't think, to getting a kid to bowl faster than just trying to bowl freaking faster. And, and, I, and, I, and I will stand by that as my one piece of bowling advice that does not change. There may be other theories and other, and other ways that, that Ponty will, 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 will talk about. But for me... If you want to bowl faster, you bowl faster. You run in harder if, if that's what helps you, or you, you try and put more effort at, through the crease. If that's how you want to bowl, if you want to bowl faster, you try harder. There, there is no shortcut. There is no real secret. There, is, there, is, there are dark arts once you've got the pace, but there is no real dark art to bowling faster. Just try down harder. So Gladstone's telling himself to keep his head still. I, Ian O'Brien's telling himself to bowl faster. Ian Pont, what are you telling young Ian Pont? 
And, or uh, I guess, does, what are you telling your current yeah, clients? Students, well, well, actually, it, it's a twofold answer. It's desire, like how big is your heart? We used to talk about having, having somebody being a fast bowler, having the heart of a pea. If you've got a pea-sized heart, you're not going to last very long in this game. You've got to have a big heart to be a fast bowler because it's very, very, very hard work. And there's sometimes no reward for it whatsoever. But the most important thing that follows on from desire is self-belief. We get a lot of young kids who, for a bunch of reasons, uh, don't believe in themselves. And we try to get a more rounded human being by saying, fast bowling is hard, accept it. Have a desire to bowl quickly and believe in yourself. The rest of the technical stuff and the tactical stuff, you know, you can learn those parts. What do you, what do you say to yourself inside your head? Have you got a big heart for fast bowling? Do you want to go out there and bowl quickly? And do you back yourself? And if you do that, You've got a chance of maximizing what you've got. There we go, kids. Keep your head still, believe in yourself. And if you want to bowl fast, try and bowl fast. That'll be an end of this episode of the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Thank you very, very much to head coach of the Ultimate Pace Foundation and National Fast Bowling Academy, Ian Pont. Thank you. Uh, former Black Caps fast bowler, Ian O'Brien. Thanks, mate. Cheers. And former Warwickshire and England fast bowler and current luxury tour host, whenever we can actually go anywhere, Gladstone Small. <laughs> All the best, guys. Stay safe. Thanks as ever to producer John Stone beavering away in our state-of-the-art edit facility in Genteel Harrogate Spa. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Gorilla Cricket. Keep independent cricket commentary alive and as, as a nice little bonus, you get all of our pods a day early, including this very pod, our counter cricket podcast, Gorilla Show, hosted by Tony Bishop, and new splinter podcast, the alternative Gorilla Cricket podcast. Niches within niches within niches. Of course, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Acast for the low, low price of free. So whatever your preferred pod app, download, share, and subscribe. Please also do as an iTunes listener. Our Blackbird has done. Leave us a review and a five-star rating. Uh, 8 p.m. UK time on Wednesday, just a couple of days after this pod comes out, we'll be launching the Dickwell Abroad Auzac Trophy, where we take the old, old game of dice cricket and gorilla it up live with the sort of new technology of Zoom and YouTube. We'll be giving you the lowdown on all eight painstakingly constructed fantasy squads on Twitter between now and go time. We will, of course, be back with another edition of the Gorilla Cricket Podcast next week. But until next time, you be good now, you hear? Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.